You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. I, I'm not judging these guys on size or color. I, I just think they were boring and dumb. Well, <laughs> Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Been driven to the right field corner. It's down for a hit. It'll get to the wall. It'll score two. Dozier with a two-run double, and it's three to nothing. Tamper. Dozier will get the lead runner, and because Martinez runs so slowly, they get the double play. A heck of a performance here tonight by Lance Lynn. So it's baby steps, but he took a big step forward here tonight. All right, it's lineup time. Yeah, very, very exciting. Noon tilt today between AL Central rivals, the Detroit Tigers, and your Minnesota Twins. Lineup, Dozier at second, Kepler bats second in right, Rosario DHs today. Escobar bats clean up and is a third. Lomo at first. Uh, Cave and left. Adrianza at short. Uh, Bobby Wilson behind the plate. And now anchoring the number nine spot in the lineup on a daily basis. Byron Buxton with uh, Gibby on the mound. Buxton did have a nice little little base hit to left field. Drove in a run yesterday. So among the diffi- got that going for Among him. the difficult things to watch now in uh, professional sports, where does watching uh, poor Victor Martinez try to run rank? Oh. It's it's last year David Ortiz. <laughs> he had a shot to left field that I, I would have been at second on. He had no chance to get to second. And he's not going to have his Jake Taylor moment either because they're not good enough where he just like blows his knees out just trying to beat out that little ground ball, that bunt to first base. He's... He's just going to have to. Oh, it's tough every, to watch. every time he hits anything on the ground, it's like he knows I'll I'll just try to get a quarter of the way down yep. the line, and hopefully there's not exactly a bobble of some kind that's going to make me regret. If I get this, to but, the safety box, but by the time the ball's in the first baseman's mitt, I feel pretty good about myself. Yeah, uh, this lineup is interesting because you've got Jake Cave, like you said, playing left field. Adrianza had a couple nice hits last night, but he's mostly been terrible at the plate. It's funny how baseball seasons work, where guys get injured, and all of a sudden now Jake Cave is your number six hitter, mm-hmm. and uh, a catcher that you've never heard of until a few weeks ago is batting eighth in your lineup. Jake Cave is someone to keep an eye on, in that he so he comes over from the Yankees organization. He's twenty five years old, and in two thousand seventeen, between Double A AA and Triple A, he actually had a nine hundred OPS and twenty home runs in just a hundred three games. So he's a big strikeout guy. I don't think he's ever going to be a a huge major league masher, but somebody to keep an eye on. He not, might not he might not just be a quad A type player. There might actually be something there with this Jake Cave. So something to watch. What do you make of the fact that the uh, Twins yesterday pretty quietly obtained uh, Chris Carter, who once led, who not that long ago led the the big leagues in home runs, yeah. but was striking out at a prolific rate before it was popular to strike out. I don't know. I don't know if it means anything for Joe Maurer. I, I, it sounds like Joe Maurer is. Going to be back here in the next couple weeks. Doesn't it? Doesn't I don't know. He's at Target Field, right? Yeah, he's been. uh, He took Saturday and Sunday off completely because he he was back to having what they were very careful to uh, say were concussion symptoms, Uh, but definitely sounded like a reoccurrence 
of a concussion. He has checked back in. He's supposedly been there the past two days, according to Molitor, but he's doing work, and like Paul's like, yeah, it's getting better. Uh, it's I would not. My guess is he's not back for a month, mm-hmm. at least. This sounds to me like we've gone right down the concussion path again, and they're not going to screw around. So I do wonder if that Carter move was made with the anticipation that Joe's going to be out for the long term here. Well, Chris Carter is one of the, as a guy who plays these deep league, these fantasy baseball leagues where there's 33 guys on a roster, and I'm one of those huge fantasy baseball nerds where you get into an auction and it's like seven hours deep and you're drafting double-A players to stash on your bench, right? I used to be there before I quit. So so I was one of those guys in 2011, 2012, when Chris Carter was this double-A, triple-A masher for the A's organization. Mm -hmm. And and he was a 300, 315, 330 hitter in the minor leagues, too. So I was, Chris Carter, I used to sit by Lavelle in the press box, and he would always just be like, there's your guy, Chris Carter. And And he did go on to lead the major leagues in home runs in 2016, 41 bombs for the Brewers in 2016. He's also led Major League Baseball in strikeouts twice. Does he have the record? He doesn't have the record, right? No, he does not. But he has like 210 strikeouts in Reynolds a season. Reynolds does, I believe. Okay, yeah, Mark Reynolds. I think Reynolds. he still has it. It's like 220 or 230 yeah. or something. And Sano would have broke it if he hadn't been injured if for a month. If he just didn't get month. hurt so yeah. damn much, he'd be the strikeout king. But Chris Carter fits perfectly into today's Major League Baseball, where he hits 217 for his career, but if you give him 600 trips to the plate, he's going to hit 30 or 40 home runs, mm-hmm. and he's kind of positionless. So it wouldn't shock me, and he wasn't even, like, he was dominating for AAA Salt Lake in the Angels organization. They just didn't call him up. He had uh, 13 bombs, 900 OPS. So I could see him maybe as a bat off the bench at some point and a guy who maybe plays a couple days a week. But does he cut into Lomo's playing time? Lomo's been hot lately. Yeah, he's been good. Does he cut into Mauer's playing time? I don't know. He not, you're not going to put him in left field or anything. I would. I think Joe, just by by gauging from what people are saying or not saying about Joe, I think Joe's out, as I said, for at least a month, if not more. I think this... They don't want to say concussion, because he's. we've been down that path before, and if you say concussion, then Joe has to go through all the protocols to get back. But when you're talking about sensitivity light, when when you're t- talking about a whiplash type of effect, are you saying that they're trying to like ball? to dodge Major League Baseball's concussion? No, protocol I'm just I, I'm just saying that that when you declared a, a concussion, now you, you've got got to go through a lot of of red tape to get Joe back. So if you say it's it's concussion symptoms, because concussions are are hard to define. It's not like a knee problem where you can go in and scope it and say, okay, it's partially torn. Yeah, but wouldn't you want him to go through those protocols anyways before you put him? back And there's on a good, a very good chance that they might. My only point here is I think that this is going to be, if it's not going to be long-term, I don't think it's 10 days. I think it's a month to, to two months. They, they're going to be extremely careful, and they, they should be, but all of the things that they've said so far with the sensitivity to light, the balance problems, things like that, are going down a path where yeah. you're going to be extremely careful. I remember watching that play because the, the, the play that caused the jarring I don't remember feeling. it at all. It was in, it, yeah. it was against the Angels, and he was running out. It was a foul ball, and he was running on a dead sprint. And I don't think he caught it, but he dove all out like a Willie Mays dive all out. Well, Willie Mays didn't dive, I guess, but like like the Jim Edmonds catch in center field from 15 years ago, where he all out dives and catches it, mm-hmm. but he but the ball landed five feet in front of him, and he just hits the ground. And I thought, number one, that looked like it hurt. Number two, it did hurt. I don't know how often Joe Mauer does that. Like Joe Mauer doesn't slide head first ever. He'll like dive back into first base on a pickoff attempt, but how often are pitchers throwing over when Joe Maurer's on first base? Right. And when he dives or lunges 
just in normal context at first base, it's very smooth, right? He's never like all out like a choppy rose diving, like landing on your body. It's it's kind of a, a controlled, smooth motion. Mm-hmm. And he's always had that smooth sort of nature about his play. He's never been that reckless crash into walls, you know, dive over and fall over the railing of the dugout type of a player. So I remember when that happened, I thought, I don't know, that doesn't seem like a very like Joe Mauer like impact. So who knows? I, I I don't know if the Chris Carter thing has anything to do with Joe Mauer or not, but seeing Chris Carter come up, put it this way, if you can get Chris Carter on your bench at some point, and yes, he's going to strike out a million times, but if it's the eighth inning and like your choices are Adrianza, Buxton, or like current version of Buxton, or Chris Carter could run into a fastball you might get and a, a three-run bomb. Carter. You need guys like that to fill sure. out your bench, right? Yeah. It makes some sense. Um, let's actually come back and talk about this Brian Dozier thing. Because we just ran, we just right. rambled about Joe Maurer and Chris Carter. It's, uh, there's some writing on the wall. That, uh, there was actually an announcement, and it looks like there might be another announcement here regarding a top Twins prospect, maybe even today, if, if one of the lineups is correct. Um, and what does it all mean for Brian Dozier and the future of Dozier with the Twins? We'll also get to Dan Hayes at 11.30. We can get, the NFL has a couple more rule tweaks, too, that we can get into as well. And uh, plenty more from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Hang on. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Well, you don't really have a choice. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. Gentlemen, the moment has finally arrived. On 1500 ESPN. Now we go. There we go. And the pitch driven to the right field corner. It's down for a hit. It'll get to the wall. It'll score two. Dozier with a two-run double, and it's three to nothing. All right. Something interesting today. Our friend Seth Stowes, who has been uh, probably, I would say, the most knowledgeable Twins minor league writer that I've come across in the last 10 years, TwinsDaily.com, and uh, he retweeted a Cedar Rapids lineup earlier today that does not include Royce Lewis or Alex Kirilov. There's been a ton of speculation about Royce Lewis, who's batting about 315 for uh, for single-A Cedar Rapids. And has, I want to say, 20 strikeouts in like 130 plate appearances. So he's just not striking out, which is a great sign. Yeah, because the, the Cedar Rapids reporter who covers a team had, I think, two two weeks ago that uh, that he was that Lewis was going to get called up to high A Fort Myers back then. Before June, yeah. Before June. So, yeah, that's going to happen. Yep. So he's Makes climbing sense. the ladder. Mm-hmm. Royce Lewis, if he hits well at Fort Myers, could even be double A by the end of the year, but for sure double A by the beginning of next season. And if you and if you perform well there and you're number one pick, and there's 19 year olds coming up to the big leagues right now, you're on call up watch. So maybe within 365 days, you could be on call up watch as as uh, the number one prospect in the big leagues. And then Nick Gordon was promoted to Triple A Rochester. He's only played one game there. But that was after 42 games for Double A Chattanooga, in which he batted 333 with a 525 slugging percentage. That included 18 extra base hits in just 181 plate appearances. Stole seven bases. Nick Gordon has taken a big step up offensively, and he is pounding on the door right now for a call up. Jorge Polanco is going to come back from an 80 game suspension at some point in the second half of the year. And now there's a lot of questions about. His ability to perform for 162 games. He did it in one half last year, but it was PED tainted. So I bring up all these things as kind of a gateway to a Brian Dozier conversation. Where do you think that the Twins have been tight-lipped on this? Brian Dozier spoke about it before the season, saying that he wants a contract extension, but 
They've just really shown no interest. Mm-hmm. He basically has three months left on his contract or four months left on his contract with the Twins. I think he's going to wind up making $15 million a year, maybe more, on whatever deal he signs, whether it's with the Twins or somebody else. But it feels like if the Twins really wanted Brian Dozier around for the next four or five years, they would have pounced by now. But there's a lot of reasons, including these young players who all play second base and shortstop coming up, that would maybe make them pause on like a four-year contract extension. I've never gotten the impression that the current administration with this team is enamored with Dozier. I think they like him, and I think he's a nice player. Uh, but I think that that the because the perception of Dozier when he's going well is, oh my gosh, here's the power. He is not a star, but he is a very, very good player. And I think Dozier sees himself in that light. And I think that Dozier Dozier's thinking. And I don't blame him because coming up through through this team during the Terry years, this was probably the, the thinking at the time. But I think Dozier saw it as this past winter that he'd be approached and they'd start negotiations on a contract, and by now it would be done. Falvey and Levine, I think, look at the market. I think they look at Dozier as a player. I think they, they look at Lewis and Gordon and and the middle infield potential prospects that they have. And then they also look at this. Brian Dozier's May. And as a snapshot, this is Dozier. Dozier goes through periods where he becomes unbelievably hot and hits for power. But Dozier also goes through periods where he is royally inconsistent. Two for four drove in two runs last night. But he has played 20 games since the start of this month. And he's at 221, three homers, nine RBIs. He goes through lengthy periods where he is not that great. And I think that Falvey and Levine, statistically, and also as a person, look at Dozier as a nice player, but I don't think that they they see him as an elite player who they should pay. And if he was 27 years old, you might think differently than, what what is he, 30 now? I want to say he's 30 years old. Here's something else to note, and I would still, don't get me wrong, Like I think Brian Dozier's a really good player. And Brian Dozier at times... 31, by the way. 31, okay. And Brian Dozier at times over the past four years has been one of the best 15 to 20 position players in all of baseball. He's got far more home runs than any second baseman since since like 2013. Uh, he plays gold glove caliber defense. I don't know if he's the best second baseman defensively, but like he plays gold glove caliber defense. But here's another thing that you would put in the negative bin for Doge. He's really bad in clutch situations. Late and close, according to baseballreference.com. So late and close when the... it's late in the game after the seventh inning and the score is close. He bats in 600 plate appearances. So we're talking a full season sample size here. 194 with a 308 slugging percentage in the tightest, most crucial moments of games. Mm -hmm. How about two outs and runners in scoring position where Joe Maurer bats like well over 300? Brian Dozier, 223 in those situations. So he's better in the lower leverage early in the game situations. And like you said, you kind of have to pick your half with him. Usually it's the second half. Yes. But it's not, it's not, and you're never going to get full six month consistency in baseball because guys are going to ebb and but flow. He's royally and up and down. He's one of the more, I'll use your favorite word, variance. There's a lot of variance in Brian Dozier's offensive performance. That's hockey, not baseball. So I think all these things put together. So you're looking at him if you're Thad Levine, Derek Falvey saying he's valuable. He's a really good player. We're not trying to say he's not a good player over the course of six months, but he's on the verge. You can't just like offer him anything. He's he's going to hit free agency, so you, you know that the bidding is going to start somewhere in the $15 million a year neighborhood. He's 31 years old. He's got these little 
asterisks next to his performance, like he doesn't do well in latent close clutch situations. And you've got the number one pick flying up through the system, perhaps. You got another first round pick who's at triple A right now, can play second base or shortstop. And you and, and you, Jorge Polanco's coming back. And you and put, Eduardo Escobar's on your team. And you put Gordon at, at second base throughout the spring for a reason. You didn't do it because you you're thinking, oh, we might do this. You did that because you you're saying that Dozier is almost certainly going to walk. So my question to you is this, though. If this is played out in a wise fashion, and let's say the Twins aren't completely crappy, and the division certainly is not good, but they aren't great, would you allow Dozier to get to free agency, tender him a contract offer and take the draft pick back, or would you, on July 31st, look to trade him? And get Gordon, at that point, promote Gordon up here. Polanco Gordon for the rest of the season in the middle infield. And then it's like Sano at third base, because in theory you could put one of those guys at third or something, or Escobar plays third or whatever. That's a really tough one, because all I can think about is Brian Dozier's trade value or perceived trade value from two off-seasons ago, and it was almost nothing. Their best offer was Jose DeLeon, and so if that was his peak value and you're going to get something less than that, on a rented Dozier, yep. I might just ride out the season because remember they were they were out of the race at the trade deadline last year. They were like five games under five hundred or something, and they made those deals. And Dozier and got all mad about soup, it, but he got super hot. Yep. So if you're in a weak division and you and you would trade him for twenty five cents on the dollar, anyways, when you could just make him a one year qualifying offer that he probably turns down, and if he does, you get draft pick compensation. I would ride him out for the rest of the year, hope that you still have a shot at the playoffs. Hope that he gets super hot in the second half. And then if he goes and signs somewhere else, at least you get the draft pick back. And you also get, he makes $9 million. So if you take his $9 million and Lance Lynn's $12 million, I mean, that's $30 million off the books for you to go and sign some other pitcher. I haven't even looked at the free agent list yet. But like if they've, if they've determined that hey, we're going to spend $125 or $130 million on payroll and you're clearing out like $30 million and they've already shown you that they've been aggressive for a U Darvish. They've definitely shown you that they'll spend money on pitching or they'll make $100 million offers on pitching. You might say, let's pay $500,000 to Nick Gordon. Let's pay $500,000 or actually Polanco might be in arbitration. So a couple million dollars to, to Polanco mm-hmm. and let's save all that money and go after a starting pitcher or whatever it is that you would need, and to, a catcher or something. To your point, too, the, the interesting thing about Dozier walking on you is this. Look at, look at uh, the amount of guys whose contracts are up now. Maurer is off the books. And if Joe has concussion problems, he's not coming back. Dozier, off the books. Lance Lynn, off the books. Is, is Morrison's option a team option? Uh, yes. Okay, potentially off the books. My point being is if you if you take all these guys and they walk, you got a lot to spend. Well, here's another thing. Because right now, the Twins have won three games in a row, and they are two games under five hundred. In any other context, they'd be sort of buried in the standings, but the Indians are one game under five hundred, so here they sit just a game back. But if the Indians get hot, let's say in the next month and a half, and you're just looking up at the ladder and saying, man, this was supposed to be our year to make a run, but whatever, it's not. Think about the trade pieces you do have. If Morrison stays hot, but the team suffers, Dozier's a trade piece. Mm Mm-hmm. Morrison's a trade piece. Mm-hmm. You'd like to think that Lance Lynn could be a trade piece if, either way. If Lynn gets mildly not hot, right now, he becomes one. Fernando Rodney would be a trade piece. Yeah, you're right. Because he's on a one-year contract. That's another so, one, yeah. That's one thing. They they were super aggressive in going out and getting these little pieces to complement the roster and to supplement things. 
but they put themselves in a spot where if they have to pivot or just like shuffle up the roster, they're not tied down with these Ricky Nolasco, Irvin Santana, long-term Phil Hughes contracts. Right. I mean, they are tied up in a Phil Hughes contract, but it's not the one that they would have signed. But I'm they're sure, not tied up ago. with with this current this current group as much. Mm-hmm. And they can tr- trade th- those guys. I'm just I just look at the fact that they've got so many guys who can potentially leave, and that I think if they do leave, they'll be like, okay, that's fine. And so if, if they're going to go back into the market and be aggressive again on a guy or two, they're going to have a ton to spend now. Yeah. Now, another thing, too, is they could – because Miguel Sano at third base just makes me nervous. If you're trying to put the best defensive collection out there, long-term, maybe even starting next year, if Joe Maurer doesn't come back, if he retires or if this concussion thing is a, is a thing or if they just don't want to bring him back, Miguel Sano wouldn't be nearly the defensive first baseman Maurer is, but you could put him at first base, live with it because he can still hit home runs. And then you could stack second base, shortstop, and third base with quick, nimble players. Eduardo Escobar could. Eduardo Escobar is just a better defensive third baseman than Sano. You could go like Polanco at short or Gordon at short, whichever one you think is better. The other one plays second base, and then uh, Escobar plays third base, and then Royce Lewis knocks on the door in 2019 with Miguel Sano just Escobar lumbering ha- at first base. Has to be signed as well, correct? But I think his contract is up as well. It might be. I think yeah. Eduardo. Um, but but what about this? What if so so what if uh, by June of 2019 or July you potentially go Gordon at second base, Polanco back at shortstop, or Lewis actually? Let's say by July t- uh, 2019, Lewis at shortstop, Polanco at third base. I've always been curious about Polanco at third base. I don't know. Like I'd like to talk. I mean, to there's a, not going to be pop. There's not going to be lots of pop. Doesn't there. matter if you have pop. If but, you have Snow at first base. Yeah. Some of that can be overrated. I mean, the, one of the Twins' greatest seasons in franchise history, Nick Punto was their starting third baseman. Yeah. So, like, if you have right, if you have extra, well, this is the thing. If Byron Buxton were to ever hit the twenty-five home runs he's supposed to hit as a center fielder, now you can maybe sacrifice at a different position. Um, yeah, there you have to be a little bit mindful of that. But if those guys get on base and they play great defense, it doesn't. It doesn't. There's been years where. Like there's been years where the Giants won a World Series or went to Game Seven of a World Series with J.T. Snow at first base. Right. It was a yeah, great defensive not... first baseman. If if you make up for it, like if your second baseman hits for power, it, it's mm-hmm. it's okay. Let's uh, let's keep the Twins discussion going here with Dan Hayes from the Athletic and uh, get his thoughts on things. Mackie and Judd from the TCO Broadcast Studios. Sit tight. The Mackie and Judd show will continue in a moment. Wow, the suspense. <laughs> this is a cliffhanger. Mackie and Judd. Cliffhanger. On 1500 ESPN. They... Bill Mackie, Judd Zolgad. You'll find us most uncooperative. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are talking twins. Now, with the man who's in the clubhouse covering the team every day. Beat writer for The Athletic, Dan Hayes. Courtesy of Prime Mortgage Lending of Bloomington. Home is where your story begins. Uh, it felt good to the end. Uh, when you hit a guy and walk a guy, it uh, really puts a damper on a on pretty good outing up until then. So, uh, you know, there's still work to do. Um, it's not as good as it can be, but uh, it's a lot better than it's been, so that's good. You know, Dan, uh, Dan Hayes from TheAthletic.com slash Twins. If I had a seven and a half ERA and went six and two thirds scoreless, even if I plunked a guy or walked a guy, I might be a little, just a little happier than Lance Lynn apparently was last night. Yeah, he's a little fired up. I think he he really wants to show that he can carry the team. Um, it's something he's always done. Just he's a big guy. He's that he's been that horse. He can get the innings, and I, you know, I'm sure in hindsight today he's probably. Uh, 
going to be fine. But he, he said it earlier, and I think it was in Chicago a couple weeks ago, that he's his own worst critic. And, and he, he said that, uh, that people's negativity can't get to him if he's more negative on himself than anybody else. So I think that that was just in the heat of it. He would have liked to have got that seven and just showed them that he is back, especially you, you hit a guy, you walk a guy on four pitches to end what was a really good outing. Um, and, and that was a great sign for the uh, the uh, Twins last night, for sure. So, Dan, when, when Irv comes back e- eventually here, which I think he is, if I'm not mistaken, starting for Double A Chattanooga today, when he gets back here, what's the move there in the uh, rotation, do you think? I mean, I would think that Fernando Romero likely is the guy just because he's a kid, and we'll, we'll see. I mean, he's kind of sputtered a little bit in the last two, um, has has had a chance to be challenged, and he pitched really well in Anaheim. Uh, the other day he didn't pitch as well, but we've seen the command kind of creep up there with him, and I think teams are going to be a little more patient with him because his ball runs, and, and he's got to learn to hone it, and I, I think that's where they go. That's the most logical move, but, you know, it's still a couple weeks away, and a lot of things have to happen between now and then. Yeah. Um, yeah, we we just spent like a half hour kind of going over the the current and the future. If this division wasn't just such a disaster, I think our conversations about this team would be so much different too. You know, I think if if Cleveland were ten games over five hundred, like everybody else at the top of the divisions were, we'd probably have a different perspective. But it's weird because they're below five hundred and they've had all this stuff happen to them, but they're still contenders. So there's so much to be decided in the next thirty days. There is, and it's funny. You, uh, you you look at two wins and how much it changes the perspective on this team just really quickly. And it's two wins against a team that's predicted to lose 90 games. So yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's keeping that in mind, but at the same time, I mean, all of a sudden, hey, everything is good, and if they pull off a sweep, you know, they got a shot to get things going, and Snow gets back on Friday, and hey, maybe they could get this thing going the right way. And I mean... That's the one part I think has helped with them internally is there's not the uh, there's no lingering thoughts, doubts, anything like that. They they believe they can turn it around, and you know I mean when you look at the talent on that group, it's a really very deep talented team, and and they're it's it's the lineup that looks thin with all the injuries right now, but when you think about what could happen if they all come back, I mean we haven't seen Buxton do very much offensively right now. Miguel Sano was. Hitting for some power early, but struck out a lot. Joe Maurer obviously is hurt right now. Dozier has not been his his self the whole way. The last two days have looked particularly good with him hitting the right field and and taking what pitchers are giving him. But nothing has clicked on the offensive side of things, and so I understand why they are holding out hope. Um, I also understand why they're allowed to. I think we've talked about this before. It's an easy roster to take apart if they have to. Uh, there's a lot of guys on one-year contracts or – in the case of Jake Odorizzi, he's got another extra year, which makes him valuable. Um, you've got sellable pieces, and it would be very easy to take apart if they have to. And you don't have to do that till the last minute. Uh, we've seen teams do that. That week of July 24th to the 31st could be very active there. and or, I mean, July 30th can be very active there. and um, I, It should be kind of fun to see how they set themselves up and um, you know, it, it could very easily be different here in a couple months with them selling off and kind of retooling and, and keeping the young guys and, and building up again for another run in a year or two. You brought up uh, Dan Byron Buxton, and I know he had a nice hit to left field, drove in a run. Uh, his speed is impactful and his defense is incredible, but 
I almost need, as a guy who's been leading the Byron Buxton charge for five years in this town, even I'm sitting here looking at him saying, dude, like I, I almost need to be talked off a of Byron Buxton ledge here. It just, it's, it's so hard for him. Pitchers aren't, pitchers aren't trying to avoid him. They're throwing the ball over the plate and he keeps popping up to right center and hitting weak yeah. ground balls all over the place. I, and he's, from my experience, it's a, a very streaky guy and he needs to learn to, kind of get rid of that i don't think that it was a very i it's hard to say but i don't think they did him any favors by bringing him back after a month and throwing him in i get why they did it um you you love his glove you love his speed on the bases and he can we saw it with that bunt last week where he can change the game in so many ways just by running and and so I understand why they wanted to bring him back in but he's such a a guy that has shown to be streaky early on that it was so hard to throw him in there um, right away and without an at-bat over a month or, or what is it, 29 days. Yep. And he's just expected to succeed. I don't think they did him any favors. I, you know, they Obviously, with uh, Miguel Snow, with the hamstring, they had to kind of wait it out and test it. But I think it almost might have done Buxton some favors to go down there and get three games just to get some of those over threes, over fours out of the way because – you know, you've seen a few signs the last couple of days. He hit that slider two days ago, and um, maybe it was Sunday. I'm I'm all lost on on the days here, but I've been I, drinking all morning. I don't know what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm uh, at a uh, minor league game with six thousand screaming kids watching what was supposed to be Royce Lewis, but he's off today. So um, it is a uh, it's been a, a couple of days of travel here, but um, yeah, you, you've seen some signs from Buxton that make you think if he had had just a few more days, he could have got some of those cobwebs cleared out. And instead of looking at that two for 23 to start, it would have been, you know, two for 14 or something along those lines. And it's a little easier to digest and maybe he gets it going here, but yeah, you're right. I mean, he's a streaky guy and and they really need his bat to get going. So Dan, uh, as far as Royce goes, when is the projection now for when he's going to be uh, promoted to high A and if you did get a chance to see him, what's your impression of where he's at uh, as far as, because his stats are certainly very good, but where he's at from what you've seen? Uh, you know what? Very raw guy. Um, I, I was impressed. I saw him yesterday. Uh, I should get to see him tomorrow, too. Um, very raw, but the ability is there. I mean, he made a double play where he was basically on on his chest and found a way to shot, put the ball to second base, made a nice diving stop, and for a kid that's 18 and he's the ninth youngest player in this league, uh, quick bat through the zone. Um, there's there's a lot to like. As somebody explained to me today, though, he's still very raw. And you know, Alex Kirilov is a much more polished guy who spent seven hours a day on his swing, basically in in high school because he was homeschooled. So he'd go to school for three hours and then go hit for seven hours. He's a lot more defined as a 19 year old than say Royce Lewis is. But there's a lot to like there with Royce Lewis, and I, I think as much of it has to do with the off-the-field stuff. Uh, he, he's a pretty incredible kid from a mental standpoint and how he's able to handle all of this pressure. Uh, there's a lot that goes into it. and you know He turns 19, I think, in, uh, on June 5th, and to be facing all of it, you know, he, he's doing a really good job with it. Um, as for the high A, I mean, I was – Hoping that I get to see him here, I'm I'm lucky I am. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens within the next week or so. Uh, you know, it's it's all going to happen. It, what day specifically we don't know, but it, it's very close for sure. Yeah, 
Uh, they've man, they just have assuming that at least a couple of these guys pan out between Nick Gordon going to AAA now and Royce Lewis. What, Royce Lewis has twenty three strikeouts and one hundred thirty six plate appearances, and he's a nineteen year old, and that's that's a pretty incredible rate in itself. Let's say he's a fast track guy. How do all these things and the and the plethora of middle infielders sort of cross section with Brian Dozier's contract status and and where he's at with the organization? I yeah, it's funny. Nick Gordon's at shortstop right now. I think that a lot of people maybe project him to be second base, and so it'll be interesting to see how quickly he can come up and and if he can establish himself because I know they would uh, that that be obviously a potential solution if Dozier goes on. And I mean. It, it's such a difficult spot to be in because you see what Dozier means to this team. Um, when he's going well, the offense really gets going, and, and he, he definitely brings some energy, and he's one of the guys that's been here for the longest time. And They didn't talk to him about an extension in the offseason, so obviously that free agency is going to happen. He's going to go into free agency um, and, and test the waters and see what's out there. And I mean, it's it would seem like Nick Gordon is a ready-made solution to step in at second base. He's playing a lot of shortstop. I honestly think that's as much about potential trade value. Uh, you know, you want your guy to show that he can play it short and, and succeed and, and teams to buy that, and maybe somebody does. Um, but it's clear that he would be a guy who could fill in at second. As far as Lewis, you know, where he sticks, that remains to be seen. I, I, there are people who think that he is raw. Um, I think if he doesn't end up at short, he'd be center field, which is obviously uh, occupied right now by Byron Buxton. But these are good problems for organizations to have because up the middle is the hardest position to fill. Um, they're the, the most critical spots on the field. And so for them to have Royce Lewis, for them to have Nick Gordon, um, you know, they've got a couple other shortstops in the minors. It's not a bad thing to have when you already have Buxton in center and you have. Uh, Dozier at second base. It's it's good problems for sure. What does your gut tell you about uh, Joe's situation here with the concussion, or I, I should say concussion symptoms? Because they're clearly not going to say a lot, uh, but Dan, from listening to Paul the past a couple days, and from what, what he has said and hasn't said, I told yeah. Phil this. I, I This is not, in my opinion, this is not going to be 10 days, and I'm not going to be surprised if it's more like a month plus. It, it definitely, to me, i just seen how they've been as far as cautious with guys, I would think they would continue to be cautious here too. Um, we've, we've seen what the long lasting effects can be. You know, last year was the first year where some of the guys thought that Joe was fully healthy and that concussion happened in 2013 where some of the vision stuff went away and I was just seeing the ball better. And so I think that from that side of things, from the everyday life factor and the effect that your balance issues and you're having sensitivity to light, um, you know, Paul was definitely pleased with when when I was there last on Monday. Was very pleased with the progress he had made. But you know, this is stuff that's really serious, and and if it affected him for three, four years after um, it originally happened, they're going to be sensitive to that. And I, I think that I would caution on the longer side of things. I don't know, you know, a month, ten days, where where the the line is in between. But I mean. You look at Irvin Santana, and, and that went longer, and that was something to do with the finger. And, you know, that's, they're totally different cases, but the Twins were pretty sure that it was going to be mid-April to, to May 1, and here we are coming up close to June, and, and Irv's getting close to returning. So, obviously, these things all kind of 
are different cases. And, and with Joe, with the history, I think that being cautious is probably the way to bet. By the way, last thing for you here, for all you people panicking about Fernando Rodney in April who forgot about his 15 runs given up last April, look at us calm-headed people now reaping the benefits of Fernando Rodney's uh, post-save celebration. He's been lights out. He, he has been, and man, I don't know if there's anything more fun than the entry, too, the, the music that they play at Target Field. <laughs> uh, it, it's just, it, it works well. The, the bullpen has kind of really, especially with him, put itself together, and they look good. Uh, I know Addison Reed's given up a few home runs here or there, but you look at the Presley strikeout last night. Reed, for the most part, has been very good. Duke, for the most part, has been very good. He had a few ugly games early on. But the whole group is settled, and, and Rodney has been at the front of that. And you know those guys like each other a lot. I Reed and and Rodney. I wondered how it would work because Rodney's a little bit of eclectic. Um, he he's a character in there, and and Reed I knew from his his days in, in Chicago, and he's like serious but he's fun. And and I wondered how it would play. And those guys love each other. I mean they they were dancing around the clubhouse in Anaheim. Uh, Rodney makes things fun. I think that that translates and and guys really like how he carries himself and and it is entertaining to watch i i will say that there have not been many players that i've seen in in 12 seasons that are as entertaining and talented i mean the fact that he's got 10 saves at age 41 is says a whole lot yeah great stuff dan we'll talk next week see you dan all right guys all right that's all right, dan hayes from the athletic.com slash twins he's down in cedar rapids uh, alex kirloff by the way who he mentioned that was the Twins' first-round draft pick from 2016 out of mm-hmm. high school. Mm-hmm. So he missed the entire 2017 season with in, with an injury. He's batting 325 with seven bombs and a 589 slugging percentage in 38 games. Did, did he so say? Did he say he was homeschooled in high school for three hours a day and then would go hit for seven hours a day? Yes, he would practice his swing for seven hours a day. I don't know if that qualifies as homeschooling when you're spending twice as much time practicing your swing. I mean, does it matter anymore? No, I don't know. Heck, I'd be proud to be his parent. (laughs) You're going to make million dollars, son. I don't care if you're educated or not. He got a first-round signing bonus, and he's on his way to a lot more. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Uh, 651-646-8255 if you have any Twins thoughts. Uh, We'll talk to our... I was going to say depressed, not quite yet depressed. Nervous, maybe depressed tomorrow. Capitals fan friend Chris Long at some point, too. Mackie and Judd. Bill Mackie. Uh, he's been around. He's one of those guys where he's got a lot of talent, but he's kind of a knucklehead. Judd Zolgad. For someone who has done some amazing journalism, he's just a boob. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. The fourth annual Town Ball Classic returns to Target Field this Saturday, presented by 1500 ESPN and the Minnesota Twins. Make plans to attend and help raise money for the Twins Community Fund. Gate 29 will open at 9 a.m., First pitch for Game 1, the Class C game is at 10, followed by the Class B and Class A contests. All the games broadcast here on 1500 ESPN, and if you'd like to stop down to the park, tickets are just 10 bucks, good for the entire day of ball. For more info or to purchase your tickets, head to 1500ESPN.com, keyword town ball. Thank you, Dave. You know what I miss? I miss the fork ball. Did you see the pregame special with Jack Morris last night? They had Jack Morris and Alan Trammell. It was really cool. No, I missed it. FSN, sometimes they can get a little formulaic with their pre- and post-game shows, but last night they had Alan Trammell, and, because they're both going in Hall of Famers, right? and uh, and they were they were just sitting down for a reminiscent chat, and then 
they got into Jack Morris and his forkball, and they started showing old footage. And they had they dressed up the screen with like the fox tracker too, from like on old school footage. Yeah. And they would show a Jack Morris, and he was explaining not in the uh, the way that they did those sit downs with like Max Scherzer back in the day, where how, tell me how you throw a fastball. It was like. Here's Jack Morris showing you how to throw a pitch that no one really throws anymore, how he jams it in between his two knuckles, mm-hmm. his index finger and his middle finger, and he just tries to create as much downward spin as possible. And they'd, they'd pause the, the shot where like the ball is sitting on the top of the strike zone halfway to the plate, and the hitter would be gearing up for like a high fastball, and then the bottom would just drop on an 89-mile-an-hour forkball. And, and, and I grew up watching the end of Jack Morris's career, so I definitely remember like, Jack Morris, Twins, Blue Jays, but to watch him, watch some of that footage. If you're a younger baseball fan or if you're 35 or under and you don't really remember Jack Morris, it's that forkball was a devastating So why pitch. is the forkball dead? I think front offices and, and pitching gurus feel like it puts, A, it's it's a hard pitch to learn and throw, but I think it, it's because it it's puts like so much ball? strain on your elbow. It's like the screwball? I mean, the screwballs even more, right? Same problem, you're like yeah. twisting your arm the opposite way. Of all a I know I mean, is I know Dave teaches. Dave the loves to his all these. Graders. Dave loves all these pitches. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, if I don't see your arm twerk, something's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Some kid came to me this year. He's like, "Yeah, I throw a fastball and just a, a change up." I said, whoa, "Whoa, whoa, change up? Like you don't have any English on it?" He says, "No, I just change the speed. You know, that's what pitching's about, right? Locations." I said, "No, no, no, no. <laughs> Pitching, pitching's about yes. velocity." And slider break. Yes. First, we're going to really work on throwing some weighted balls. Let's get you up to 95 by the end of the year if we can. In fact, in, in, in the between inning warm ups, we're not going to use baseballs. We're going to be using we're going to be using those uh, weighted balls at that point. We actually too. just use bowling balls. Yeah, it's only a 10 pound ball. No big deal. It's or a like shot a 15. put. A shot put works too, depending <laughs> on what you have available. Yeah, Dave we Harrigan. we take those on the road. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to bring a Pitching bowling ball on a bus. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, if we can snap a few uh, snap a few off, you know that's that's great. And then we. We, we try to teach that. like to see the arm rotate just a little bit each time where the elbow snaps a little bit oh, yeah. just so you're just so you're sure that you're getting full value for what you're teaching these oh, youngsters. And that's what I mean. When I, I snap like a it. few off, I don't mean breaking balls. I mean UCLs. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Yep. You need Tommy John? You need Tommy John. Yeah. It's, it's a numbers game. Get it game. done early, son. And you know what? I, I was going to say, in ninth grade, <laughs> that's the perfect time. Plus, you're on your parents' uh, insurance anyway, yeah. so, I mean, it's fantastic. A full a <laughs> career of success can follow once Tommy John is complete. <laughs> Dave Harrigan, I'll get you Tommy John sooner rather than later. How'd we turn out? What was the what was the team record? Did you guys finish above 500 this year? We did not. No, we okay. were a few below. Good you won, we you very, won a couple games at least. So. Well, no, we we did fine. We were we were competitive for most of the games. It's ninth grade baseball. Some of them you you know what kick the crap I out heard, of teams. Some of you get the crap uh, crap kicked out of you, and others you're rather competitive. I heard that you lost at least a couple of games because you you d- didn't have the instinct to intentionally walk opposing <laughs> players. That's what really? I heard. That's what I heard. Really, I, I, in all the I heard, All I heard is that you played a team a couple days ago where the intentional walk was in play, and guess what? It was a great move. Some people didn't like it. Um, well, we ended up winning that game, Judd, so I mean, you can say it was a great move How, how do you like that when your opposing coaches walk guys intentionally? I don't team? mind it if it's in the seventh inning, final inning. That's mm-hmm. fine. You want to play to win. Mm-hmm. You're doing it in the fourth inning. How about if you're doing it twice? <laughs> I have an issue. <laughs> how about if you're doing it twice, coach? <laughs> to the same kid? Yes. <laughs> I get a little bit of <laughs> How many games have you won just by sheer managerial brilliance in your ninth grade baseball career? Um, like how many per year? Are you just like, if it wasn't for you pulling the right string here? Well, 
I mean, I write the lineup, so I'd say all of them, right? I mean, I, <laughs> I tell them who's Max. pitching. Intern Max is like, yeah, that's a bunch of BS. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, like an in-game move where, all right, it's a tight game, it's the sixth inning, and I'm gonna put uh, I'm gonna put this play on, or you know what, I'm gonna go lefty lefty matchup here just to take advantage of a platoon split. <laughs> Zero, maybe one. See, I'd maybe be trying one. to I would be trying to outmanage. Every one of yes, those you fools would. in See, the other yes, dugout. You would. And that's why I would hate you so much. <laughs> yes, you it's would. It's ninth grade bleeping baseball. You know what I do with the kids that are on the bench? Halfway through the game, they go in and six come out. That's all there is to <laughs> it. Oh, you're doing it. full shift line yes. changes. Not with Coach Everybody Mackey. Everybody plays. With, with Coach Mackey, that would not happen. Exactly. For he me. is calling lefty-lefty, and one guy Analytics. is a specialty pinch runner. And yep. the best part is in high school baseball, you can, kind of, like, you can put your pitcher in left field and bring... In the major leagues, you're never going to put... Your left-handed pitcher in left field for a minute. I'm going. And Joe Madden did it a couple of years ago. He did do it, but it was like a an extreme case, right? Like most of your good pitchers are also playing shortstop and right field. So in theory, good you pitchers. Could, most of your pitchers are you. also playing in the field. I'm telling you, there's a lot of money your to be games, made in ninth grade baseball. Your games would last three and a half hours, Phil. <laughs> All right, Phil. Next year, I'm going to invite you to guest manage. Okay. Oh, I love it. I'm in. I love it. If you provide a bag of seeds, I'm in. Oh, yeah. Dakota style, yellow bag, the best seeds money can buy. I will get tossed in the sixth inning, but I will do as much as I can between innings one and six to set the team up for success. You'll last six? Well, I I mean, I can keep my emotions in check until the sixth inning. I like the odds of the fourth, maybe third. (laughs) Is Chris Long, uh, what's his status? He's going to join us back half of this next hour to uh, fret about his capitals. Well, it's, it's questions ready to come out of the bullpen right now. Questions is set to go. Let's do this. Questions next. The Mackie and Judd Show will continue in a moment. Hang on a second. On 1500 ESPN.